island of peace in a sea of conflict, Lord Arlen drew wealth such as the city had never seen into its walls. But with its prosperity came the corruption of arrogance and hedonism and greed. The gods could not long abide the outrages of Mordheim's populace. In the heavens, an ill star appeared. A great twin-tailed comet that some priests warned was nothing less than the Hammer of Sigma. They preached tidings of doom and repentance, but their sermons were ignored. An attitude of rebellious revelry gripped the city as the comet grew ever nearer. The grand festival to celebrate the turn of the year was a mockery of the apocalyptic prophecies. It was then that the hammer fell. The fiery comet plowed through the city, gouging a deep crater in the midst of the poor quarter. The wondrous palace of Count Steinhardt was broken. The grand amphitheater shattered. Great library lighted by a pall of ash. Fire and smoke decimated the populace, but worse awaited the survivors. The malignant corruption, the worldly mutation and madness, the vile taint of chaos. In the shattered city, strange green-black stones were discovered. Strange energies emanated from these shards. Warlocks and alchemists experimented with these word stones and soon determined that their uncanny properties could work wonders. Word stone could heal the sick, regenerate the old, or even turn base metal to gold. Lustful word stone focused avaricious eyes upon the world Mordheim. Treasure hunters descended upon city vying with both mutated horrors that claimed the ruins as their own and crusading zealots who sought to prevent the taint from spreading. Inhuman creatures filtered into Mordheim, staking their own claims. An endless pilgrimage of the greedy and ambitious fighting and dying in a place now called the City Damned. Dead air! Oh, Welcome man. back to... Episode 10. Season finale. Of Bored to, to Death. death. Every time is. you miss yeah. the board. Every single time. I'm just, all right. So anyway. tonight, Bill, we actually have a very exciting special guest. Oh my God. Yes, uh, Who's going to be do. joining us. It's, I am so excited. He is, um, he's the man. He's the myth. Oh, he is the legend. Um. His name is Jeff Vore, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Jeff is joining us from Bahrain. Yep, all the way in Bahrain. What's up, guys? What are y'all doing? Hey. We are, we're actually recording now. So, yeah. hey. And you're in the car, right? Oh, hey. I see you. <laughs> What's going on, guys? This is Jeff Listen, uh, Jeffrey Vore. He is the host of... Um, drinking by storm drinking by stormlight a fantastic delightful podcast that if you are a, if you are a brandon sanderson fan or just a high fantasy fan in general he is the man and his wife is the woman for you well jeff why don't you quickly like tell us a little bit about your podcast before we jump into our 10th episode here he is our one listener okay so. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh 
as your number one fan, and by number one fan, I mean uh, your one and only fan, Correct. I am super excited to be on here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, no, but uh, my, our podcast is uh, a podcast where you, you read high fantasy and we drink mid-tier wines. So we got, uh, we just, we grab whatever we can from the local base here that's kind of a cheapish wine and we just get through, uh, talk about a little bit of the of the book of the day and uh, we spoil it as we go. It's actually really good fun. Just kind of chit chat all day and just some of the what you guys got going on here. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and you know what? Honestly, like if we're being true to ourselves, I would admit that when I heard that you and Chelsea, your wife, were starting that podcast, I had been bugging Bill for months about longer than that. Longer than that. I was like, we should do a podcast together. We would be great. It would be great. And Bill was like, no, that's dumb. And then and then when you started your podcast, I was like, come on. And he was like, okay, fine. And now Yeah, well, I got to say, I, I, I got influenced by a buddy of ours who did. It's called Me, My Wife, and the MCU, where he uh, he got his wife to sit down and watch all the MCU movies because she had never actually watched any of those. And then they would talk about the movie uh, based on her like first impression and stuff. So I got influenced by a buddy, and then he and then we influenced you. That's fun. Look at that. Yeah, yeah just a Full chain of events. Around. That's yeah. awesome. Well, so one of the reasons that Jeff is joining us tonight is because... He and uh, Bill are experienced in yes. uh, the, the Mordheim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically, I'm going to like bow out for the majority of this conversation because, yeah. well, yeah. I mean, I've played this game two times and you two have done yeah. a lot more. All right. So, so real, real quick, Jeff, what are we? Uh, so tonight we are going to be talking about uh, Mordheim, which is a tabletop skirmish game. Wait, wait. And before is... we actually talk about the the nitty gritty of the game itself, everybody has to share what they're drinking at this exact moment oh, because I saw, I, was ask I, you see, I can see Jeffrey that you're drinking something. What are you, Jeff? Are you drinking and driving? <laughs> I am drinking and driving, dude. Well, look, it's four it's four fifty five in the morning over here. So unfortunately I can't I can't drink that nice boxed wine that you always got, Bill. I just got uh, instant coffee because we're super fancy over here. Ooh. All right. What are you drinking, sweet? Yeah. I am drinking um, a New Zealand white wine, which, you know, what else is new? Um, I'm drinking I don't know how to pronounce it. No below? No below? No below. No below. Uh, from Marlboro, from Marlboro. Yeah. So yeah, white wine. It's delicious. Uh, yeah. What are you drinking, Bill? I am drinking box wine. <laughs> As always. Womp womp. Do it. Yeah. Womp womp. Yeah. Call Jeff it. called it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about Mordheim, a fantasy uh, skirmish tabletop game set in the ruined city of Mordheim. And what are we going to be murdering? Who's getting murdered tonight? What's getting murdered? Okay. Who's dying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, and Jeffrey, I don't know if you plan on joining us for my murder. Um, but um, tonight I'm actually going to be telling you two stories because of it being our season finale. Tonight I'm going to tell you the story of how Tiny Tim died. He was not oh, murdered, so no. it technically doesn't. No. It does. <laughs> not oh. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim. Tiny Tim, he is the uh, artist who usually sings at the start of our podcast. Um, and a goddamn national treasure. That's and a goddamn yeah. national treasure <laughs> who uh, probably sings one of the creepiest songs ever written. Yeah. 
Um, and then I will also be telling you the story because once again, Bill Ford is not from Texas, so no. he doesn't know many of the Texas legends. Yeah, and per- apparently, Jeff, you're you you're gonna know this one. So again, everybody know knows this one yeah. the, of the UT yeah. sniper. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna tell uh, yeah, you. Yeah, I'm gonna tell day. you the story of the uh, U- University of Texas. A sniper. Okay. Is and it... and a lot of people already know this story, and I would, I, I mean, Jeff, you'd heard of this story, right? Yeah, I like how we're going from like a murder one to like a mass murder one. We're really <laughs> stepping up the game on this. Well, uh, well, one is just to check a box on yeah. the form. Season finale, you know, Haley. I think yeah. this is great. And then fantastic. and then the other one is just you know. We'll get to Hitler we're... eventually. Apparently, <laughs> Hitler was a Texan. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's what, that's the story I'm going to be telling you tonight. And the reason is because as I was looking into this you know, mass murder, um, there was a lot I actually learned about, uh, how this particular crime played into, um, how, um, police forces across the nation from that point forward began to operate. Oh, okay. So yeah, there's a lot of like American history in it. So Cool. There we go. Anyway, yeah. I will, I will, I release you to your own nerdiness. Hey, this is all our nerdiness. All right, don't That's you? You're true. not, you're not innocent here. Yeah. All right, I'm just yeah. like hanging you're on. You're a part of this too. I'm yeah. along for the ride. I'm, I'm on the coattails. All right, so Jeff, real quick, so what, what are your experience with like board games, like tabletop miniatures games, like RPGs and that kind of stuff? Um, in your own words, really. Well, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the days of yore. With uh, miniatures like uh, little little top hats and little little cars on a Monopoly board, uh, I did that for quite a while. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, not, I don't really have that much experience, I suppose, other than like Risk and uh, you know all the typical games that you would have. Until I I kind of met you, and then uh, you know I just kind of play whatever you got thrown down that day. And one of those those days, it happened to be more time, and I got bit by the bug. Oh my God! Are you serious? Bill, Bill is the just bug. spreading that bug like yeah. a virus, the game bug. <laughs> That's exactly oh. right, right. Then you guys started that uh, what that company where you guys went around and did all that stuff. So Shoots I felt like loggers. I could be a guinea pig for your for your yeah for your board game stuff at the Beach House yeah. when I came in a couple years ago. Remember that? That was yeah, dope. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, so yeah, so I'm not like uh, I'm not like I would say I'm probably on the level of Haley, right? Or like. I, I'm not really like a diehard board game dude. Just whatever you show up, I'll do whatever you're doing. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm like, sure. Yeah, whatever. Are we drinking? Cool. Yeah. I'll try it. Sweet. Although, although I do have game board building experience now with our cardboard, uh, our cardboard models that we made over here in Bahrain. So yeah. I'm quite experienced now. That I think about. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So like. Um to our i mean really this is just a a, a sounding hole because we're talking to our one listener here but uh if uh our one yeah. other if our one do other that, do, you hear that, do you hear that feedback yeah that echo <laughs> <laughs> uh, turn, turn down your radio jeff <laughs> jeez jeez sorry sorry no. <laughs> but no so we uh so our our potentially two other listeners who are a wife and husband couple a friend of ours anyway um two years ago i brought my little mordheim models with me and um amongst some other board games like ticket to ride and dominion 
Um, and Jeff and his wife and I, we played Ticket to Ride, we played Dominion, and then what Jeff's referring to is one evening, I really, really, really wanted to play Mordheim, and Jeff was like, man, I don't know, I, like, I got kids, and I got a family responsibility, and I was like, yeah, that's great, but come on, let's, we, he's like, we don't even have any terrain, I'm like, we can make terrain, it's fine, don't worry about it. And so Jeff made some actually some pretty pretty slick uh, cardboard ruins. He had like made like a bell tower basically, like out of frigging cardboard. Um, yeah, I just remember going to like the next out here and like coming back with my arms full of like garbage. I'd be like, hey, do you guys have any cardboard boxes? They'd be like, uh, yeah, sure. I'd be like, yoink, just fucking taking all of it, like glue falling out of everywhere. Like, just give me all of your arts and crafts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're fucking strange, man. And I was yeah. like, yeah, 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 give it to me. What do you need with 40 things of stick glue? Don't ask questions. <laughs> Worry about yourself. I know what I'm about, son. <laughs> I know what I'm about. I know what I'm about, son. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's good. I, I think he, what you heard was a lot of yeah. your arts and crafts. And what I meant was all of your arts and yes. crafts. Yes. Give me yes. all of, of your the arts. bacon <laughs> and ham or bacon and eggs. <laughs> bacon and eggs yeah yes. <laughs> oh, all shit. right so for um so the the game that we're discussing tonight for those of you who don't know morheim is a uh it's a skirmish made that was made in 1999 by a game called or a, a company called games workshop it was designed by tuamas piririn he's I'm like sorry pirinian pirinian <laughs> he's like the he's the guy who played, yeah i don't know he's some uh finnish guy uh, but he was the one who designed and created it. It was a specialist game at the time. Um, and uh, it was based off of Warhammer Fantasy Battles. And uh, Mordheim is a city in this basically fake empire. It's based off like a 14th century style Germanic um, Holy Roman Empire kind of kind of deal with a bunch of provinces and crap like that. Um, they worshipped the founding of the emperor who united them named Sigmar. And there was this time in the empire's history called the Time of Three Emperors. And there was like a big civil war going on. And Mordheim, as you uh, heard during the introduction, was a, a city of peace and an ocean or an island of peace and an ocean of conflict. And they were really, really rich, really got to their heads, hedonism, greed, and uh, they were punished by their god Sigmar by a giant twin-tailed comet that smashed in the city and uh, to punish them basically for their sins, right? Um, and it, this happened in the, the lore of Warhammer in the year 1999 and it was released in the year 1999 during the whole y2k stuff and people were like oh my god this is the end of the world and games workshop was like hey let's make a game that was that's set in this 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 fantasy world where the end of the world is coming there's a giant comet that's going to slam down into our empire um but uh so whenever this comet slams into the city, this giant meteor that crashes into it scatters all these like wordstone or warpstone fragments that have like these mutating chaotic effects. Um, but people soon learn that they, these wordstone fragments can turn like base metal into gold, rejuvenate the old, heal the sick, and even like establish like crazy rituals for dark gods and all this crap. It's kind of and it has a mutating effect, kind of like plutonium. So really valuable stuff, right? Um, so each player. You set up a battlefield of ruined terrain to model the effect of Mordheim itself, um, of just all these ruined buildings and dust and debris and all that crap everywhere. And each side has a warband of a handful of models, um, just anywhere between six and up to 12, 15 models per side. They're a little that are 28 uh, mil millimeter in scale. 
And you have the following factions. You have mercenaries, or basically treasure hunters from the three Civil War factions in, in the Empire. You have the Sisters of Sigmar, which you played, Haley, um, in our two games. And they're basically just like warrior nuns and warrior priestesses. You have witch hunters, which are like the 7th, 17th century like Spanish Inquisition kind of deal. Um, vampires, uh, like who are like kind of like uh, necromancers kind of deal. Uh, Cult of the Possessed, which is kind of a cool faction because you have like all these mutated guys. They worship the chaos gods and all that crap. And then Skaven, the Ratmen, the Verminkin. <laughs> The uh, Horde of Horror. <laughs> um, but in a nutshell, it's, uh, you know, each side, there's a bunch of different scenarios you run through where it's either you take the tallest building in the map um, or that's set up on the board, you do a warpstone hunt where you actually go and try to find these warpstone counters, you go treasure hunting, or in most cases, you just try to wipe out the other side. Um, you take it in turns. Uh, each side gets a set of things that they do. So, for example, if I were to go first, I get to move all my models. I get to shoot with all my ranged weapons like bows and arrows. Then it's the meat and potatoes, the juicy hand-to-hand uh, -hand -hand combat. There is magic in there, but we never I never really played with it. I think Jeff and I played a little bit with some of the magic spells that you can have. Um, yeah, I think the Witch Hunter only had like one or two spells, right? Yeah, it was for like the uh, the, the Warrior Priest or something like that for the Witch Hunter Warband. Yeah. Um, and then you can also make special scenarios. Like Jeff and I made a special two or three special scenarios for the old Mordheim table. I made uh, like the dead do not sleep, um, and then rats in the sewers were two of our uh, two of our scenarios that we played. And uh, there was more of kind of like a narrative scenario. It was not very uh, very balanced. It was kind of a pain in the butt. Um, but yeah, and so one of the beautiful things about this game is. Playing the actual skirmish is only half of it. After you're done with the match, you actually tally up, depending on how many hero characters that you have in your warband as, as opposed to like little minion henchmen guys, they can get sent out to actually scavenge and loot for warpstone or wordstone fragments. Um, and then you, how many fragments you recover basically tells you, all right, you make X amount of gold crowns per turn or per after every match. And then you have to pay your warband's upkeep. Then you can buy new equipment. Everyone gets experience points depending on how many kills they got for that game. And as your warband members gain more experience points, they get to level up and gain all these crazy skills. Um, and then you actually get to search the ruins of Mordheim. And there's all sorts of different tables for that as well. So that's, I mean, playing the game itself is only really half of it. The campaign and like the role-playing game RPG aspect of it comes afterwards. And that can process alone could probably take anywhere between five and ten minutes of like a half hour, 45 minute game. Um, but uh, Jeff, when did we learn to play, uh, when did we learn to play Mordheim? Gosh, I don't know, it was in Beaumont, wasn't it? It was uh, 2012, something like that, 2013. I don't think Claire was, was Claire born yet? Jeez, I don't know, man, it was such a long time ago. But you would come over to the house, and you're like, hey look, I have this awesome game, and I remember Chelsea just being like rolling her eyes. Like she just walked in, and she was, oh my god what the hell is this and we're like okay look bill's got this thing and it sounds really cool but we're just gonna like you know we're gonna kind of appease bill here all right because he's driving all the way from fucking houston and he's really excited about this oh my god <laughs> he driving, came in there and he had this board is yeah. actually driving two hours yeah, just think, to play a game yes yes and uh the game itself ended up taking like 24 hours or something like that it was it was insane but it was really awesome so like 
I just remember you getting up there and we had all the pieces and you were like, all right, dude, I got two more bands. Which one do you want? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Which one's the best? And you're like, well, I mean, you don't want these like stupid rat ones. They're like <laughs> like stupid and they go and they're just like, oh, they're like weak. I'm a rat. And I was like, yeah, rats just kind of sound stupid. But then like when you started playing it, you were basically like, yeah, yeah, by the way, these are fucking awesome. Here's a horde of just fucking rats that are going to annihilate you. And you're like, oh, but who gets to shoot once? I was like, no, no, no. These guys get to shoot twice because fuck you. That's why. And I was like, what the fuck? And you just like obliterated all of my guys at the thing. <clears throat> and I, I loved that because ever since then, I was like, Bill, never listening to him again. This fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, have you noticed, have no, you, but- Jeffrey, have you noticed that since you play, whenever you play games with Bill, that sometimes like he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about this rule or I forgot about the fact that this that this character gets to shoot twice or gets to hit twice and i'm like what yeah yeah you're like okay so i can i can move three inches awesome he's like yeah yeah my guys get to move like all across the board yeah wait what you know i never knew that well yeah no the rats and so like they're really fast like oh shit i wish i knew that is damn it dude yes <laughs> you guys are painting a terrible picture yeah. of me all right i have all these rules for all these games just jumbled up in my very tiny brain <laughs> you know you've got your phd and you've got your mba all right so the between the two of you y'all have like a decade and a half of freaking education behind you i've got a very small brain that's pickled by booze that i've got all these games <laughs> around up there so yes i do apologize to the both of you that yeah sometimes the rules kind of get lost in translation Uh, but it's never with Mm. malicious it's never with malicious intent sure it's always so convenient too yeah it's like oh geez by the way this rule means i win oh yeah i forgot i get i get all the points oh yeah i forgot i I win that's the rule i remember like the first time we played it'd be like all right you're showing me the rule book all right this is ridiculous and you'd be like ah I don't want to show you the rule book. It's going to take an hour. I was like, no, no, you're going to get it to me now. And so we go through, and I was looking every single time you rolled that stupid dice because I was like, he's onto something. He's, he's suspicious. So I never trusted you that whole time. Okay. I want to say that game took like a whole day because right. I was just like, nope, pull it up. Pull up the rule book, Bill. <laughs> All right. Two very similar experiences. Oh, man. <laughs> right under that bus. Yeah, no, well. this is a four, five, six and a three, four, five, six. Well, because, you know, I'm a rat and uh, I made it and I brought the game over here. I drove two hours, bring it over here. I get a two, four, five, and six and I win. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. Oh, my God. <clears throat> Show me the rule book, Bill. Okay. No, but it was fun. It was awesome. It was, I got bit. You got bit. All right. Well, so that's, I want to, I want to bring this up because I, this was segues fantastically into your Mordheim experience, Jeff. Okay. So fast, fast forward from 2012, 2013 to 2017, I think, 2018, when you were over here taking classes at San Jacinto. Oh, yeah, that was fun, too. We yeah. played like almost every day. So, like, I, after Bahrain, I got home from Bahrain. Jeff followed, like, two weeks afterwards and was taking some classes at uh, where I teach. And I had furiously spent, like, four or five months just, like, making this Mordheim table and painting up the war bands and all that stuff to in preparation for this and we played i think like four scenarios or something like that or four games four or five games or something like oh that. yeah for sure it was kick-ass man you had like this whole like setup with the was the sewers and you had like the one board on top that was like a the overworld and then you fell down into like the steward tunnel or whatever and that brought you into like the second board that was pretty cool man that was awesome yeah thank you man and um so like we played like four or five games like using that board and how many games did you win jeff uh geez let's see carry the one zero i think none of those games i won no like you won like almost all of, <laughs> all of them carry the one 
can carry the one. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. No, I obliterated you every yes. time. It was awesome because you had, like, I remember, was it the, was it one of those games where, like, I had a guy on, like, an upper shelf or something, and there's, like, one move where you can do, like, a jumping strike. Like, if you fall off, the diving like, charge over four inches or something. You, yeah, the jumping, whatever it is, like, striking your face. And for some reason, like, you're not supposed to make that. Like, I think the, the, the <laughs> odds are, like, you got to roll a six or yeah, five or six. Difficult. But, like, I was just consistently hitting a six and getting, like, critical hits on it and just <laughs> obliterating you guys, like, every time. I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm going to jump strike every single time that I could do this. I just got lucky <laughs> as hell for, like, four games in a row, just always hitting sixes. And, yeah. And how many games? Brutalized you- your brood. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Like, I, so you, you played the Witch Hunter Warband, right? Yep. And I played Skaven. Good old Lightbringer. Yeah, I played Skaven the Ratman. And uh, <laughs> as as you heard, uh, our one listener, Jeff, um, Jeff won for basically, I think, pretty sure like four out of five games, if not almost every single one of them. Um, and so I'm going to transition to my wife here. How many games did, have you won of Mordheim? Two. How many have we played? Two. Yes. So am I really? No. The, yeah. So am I really the scheming bastard that you guys are painting me to be? Yes. Here it is. Here it is. The justification. Here we go. Yeah. I really think. Uh, I. I definitely certainly think I'm more of like the hobbyist and uh, the narrative gamer than the uh, actually like st- strategical. Your strategy. Your strategy desires much. Yeah. Leaves much to be desired. Yeah. Well, he likes to paint the things. He's just not very good at using the things. That's, yes. that's perfectly fine. You know? like, good for you, Bill. That's, that's fine. That's fine for simple people. Yeah, no, I... Mm-hmm. Uh, partic- like, so we played um, a skirmish, right? That's what yeah. they're called? We played a skirmish last night. And I was... this. You know, my warband is the Sisters of Sigmar. And I beat Bill within, I don't know, 10 minutes. Realistically speaking, the first, like... The third turn because you killed two of my guys. Yeah, like, I killed two of your guys turn. like in the same turn. <laughs> like a third of my guys were wiped out. Yeah. So um She was throwing hot. Yeah. I, I that's the other like I don't know what your next like little segment part of this is. I was is, just gonna but... talk a little more detail about it and then roll right into the what you like and what you don't like. Okay, well I'll let you finish describing okay. the game and then I wanna tell you a little bit about it. Gotcha. Okay. A little bit about me. Let's talk about me, me. and what I like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So there is. Uh, so each uh, each warband has distinct advantages and disadvantages. And to be honest, like not every warband is completely equal, and it's not an entirely balanced game, which is kind of what people like about it. A lot of people complain about it. Um, but um, there are certain complain cert- about everything. Yeah, and then each uh, model um, for each type of warrior, each type of hero, that kind of stuff has a certain characteristic. Has seven or eight characteristics. They have a movement value, how far they can move in inches, like the other games that we've talked about that are tabletop uh, miniatures games. They have a weapon skill, i.e., like how well they can perform in hand-to-hand combat. They have a ballistic skill, meaning how well they can shoot things. How a strength um, value, meaning how strong they are, uh, toughness, how tough they are, how many wounds, how many attacks they have in hand-to-hand combat, what their initiative is, i.e. like how dexterous, um, or dexterous, excuse me, and quick and nimble are they, pretty much determining the order of hand-to-hand combat. Um, And lastly, they have a leadership value, or how courageous are they. Um, And the game is, as we said before, is played in a certain number of turns. Now, where Mordheim is a little unique in that it's not like a battle to the death. 
it actually is kind of the opposite. So most of these war bands are, are a little cowardly. They're really just scavengers in this ruined city with like this radioactive crap that's all around them. It's filled with monsters and nightmares and horrors, right? And um, as soon as they start suffering a handful of casualties, they really start to think about like, okay, like I'm in the middle of this radioactive city, basically Chernobyl. Uh, there's monsters and demons and ghosts and stuff like around every corner that are trying to kill me like the i see faces that are melting in stonework like on this building next to me this is a place of nightmares i need to get out of here right um so war bands start taking what are called route checks at the beginning of their turn when they've lost more than 25 percent of their models so if a war band has um let's just say nine models in their war band if they lose three of them that's a third of them over 25 percent so at, with the, when they have six models or members of their warband remaining, they have to start taking leadership checks. So you take two six-sided die, you roll them, and if you get equal to or under the highest leadership value of the remaining warband members on the board, then they pass that route test and they, they get to play another turn. But the second that they fail it, then that they basically run away. You automatically lose for the most part. Um, and you are, you know, you, everyone else lives to fight another day. The models who are taken out of action, they make injury rolls and all that stuff afterwards to see if they survive or not, or if they suffer a crippling wound and all that stuff. Um, but that's kind of the gist of of the game, right? And Jeff, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, like, what was that when you when we were playing last time? Did you have to? Did you pass like every single leadership route you, test you did? Like, because you uh, obliterated like half your fucking squad once, just you're like annoying little rats, right? Just. Oh, hey, what's up? I stepped on the head or something, and they, like, squished them like a like dirty rats they were. Yeah. And then I want to say, like, you yeah. survived, like, 10, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, like, an impressively large amount of route rolls or whatever, and then you ended up, like, coming back and whooping my ass Cinderella story, like, <laughs> and obliterating me, because I, like, I lost in the first leadership route roll. I can't remember what that was. I remember being like, what the hell? Yeah, that so was, that, like, that's actually a pretty cool scenario. mechanic. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that, that's actually like one of the cool things about this game is that like, I mean, I'll talk about a little bit later, but you know, this, the odds can be stacked against you. And then all of a sudden, like you just cling on, cling on, cling on until you can finally meet that objective. Like the other team could be like completely trouncing you. Right. Um, but I will say there can be at times where you can actually, and I'm glad you brought this up, Jeff, you can voluntarily route. Like as soon as you've suffered those 25% casualties, Hey, if you're like clinging on, you go for another round or two and you just start taking more and more um, wounds and people are dropping out and you're like, man, I passed that route test, but like, I actually kind of want to pack up my shit and leave. Like, I want to take my ball in jacks and just go <laughs> home because as your fighters get taken out of action from your war bands that you have to roll in this injury table. And there's a really good chance for henchmen, there's a 33% chance, like your little minions, that they're going to die. And then you have to purchase with your little shekels new henchmen to replace them and they lose all their equipment right so it's kind of like a resource balancing um, aspect of it and your heroes like they'll they could suffer like crippling wounds like hey like they this guy joe schmo lost his friggin' leg now he's got a goddamn peg leg so he can move like one inch of turns like all right well joe schmo's friggin' useless um so you can voluntarily route there was one time when jeff was absolutely just beating the living shit ever living shit out of me and like I kept housing my route test and I forgot that like I could have voluntarily routed. And so he just pretty much cut me down from like a 10 side, a 10 man war band down to basically two rats left. And I finally failed it. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Like I could have just like, 
cut my losses four corpses ago. And... <laughs> because we, what we had done is we usually played like the continuations, right? So it wasn't just like we showed up for the single games. It was like we, we, we held on to all of our stat sheets, you know? Yeah. And, and so like we, we would kind of keep the game going over like several years. Like we show up again and be like, oh, hey, yeah, by the way, like Lightbringer, my little guy has was leveled up to like level eight or whatever. So we could continue that way. But I remember after that game, we were like, all right, forget it. We're starting all over. <laughs> yeah. Like, no resources to buy any rats anymore. Like everyone <laughs> was completely obliterated. And you're like, well, I can't continue. There's no way we can do another game. So yeah. it was pretty funny. Yeah. Cause you were going home to Bahrain. Your war band had beat the shit out of mine. So, po- so badly that they were so far ahead. You had so much money. You were hiring all these mercenaries and stuff that I, even me playing a very, cheap and affordable war band of these rat men i was still being outnumbered by humans and i was like this is i'm so fucked so um but all right all right all right all right um so i mean do you have any other input jeff before we go into the what do you like about it what do you not like about it kind of deal well not really in fact i was gonna say about that exact mechanic we were talking about with like the continuation or whatever that would be something that I like and I don't like about it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I really do like that you can have this continuation between your games and like your skirmishes and stuff. Because if you know, uh, your your warband progresses, and the next thing you know, like a couple years later or whatever, you're, you're playing it and you're like, oh yeah, like you, each of your guys has their own story. Because I mean, when you're in the game, you're kind of like making it up and you're giving your you're having fun with it. So you're giving people voices and like, oh, this guy's got an eye patch on, and, like he's missing an arm and. Oh, good old Lightbringers going back in from retirement. You know, like you get these whole things with, with the characters, and it's awesome. But I also don't like it because, like, that requires a lot of, of commitment and time in order to like play it. It cannot be like a casual like thing if you want to utilize that mechanic because it's going to take a long time to like build that kind of thing up, or you have to play it multiple times, and and then also like it's a lot of it's a lot of paperwork. <laughs> like, yes. I know that I. I yeah, I, I work in a government like bureaucracy, right? Basically, and so I'm doing paperwork all the time. But more time is a lot. Like you You'll sit never there and escape. Like a piece of paper. Yeah, I can't ever get out of this evening with my fun. Like what is this? <laughs> no. Um, but I mean, no, uh, but it's, it's cool. The only thing, do you have any like closing like I mean, thoughts on it doing... before we go into like the good, the that's good, and the bad? Di- that's what he's saying. Well, because he's like, uh, I mean, not really. Other than just kind of like this last mechanic thing, you know, just. I think it's pretty cool. I just don't, uh, I feel like when you start out that like that they're, they're making it start out like kind of like a video game is kind of what it plays like. It plays like, Oh, you're starting out final fantasy one. And you guys are, the guys are, the guys really suck and are terrible. You're going to get obliterated at the beginning, but like you keep practicing, you keep playing, you get more experience. And eventually your character is going to be like really well-rounded and really strong. And their, their strengths are actually going to come out a little bit better and you're going to have money and it'll be fun. But that takes a long while to build up. <laughs> Because you have to play several several games before that yeah. actually happens, and so I feel like that's something that is a little bit of a weakness, just because like it takes a long time, and so when you're like you know kind of like us, like you have to take years between playing again, it really is kind of like oh man, just just kind of sucks. I wish I could just play it like now easily, you know, when we get together. Or something. Yeah. But yeah. Other than that, I think I think it's fantastic, but I think it's also a little bit its own drawback a little bit. Yeah. No, and I think I kind of want to piggyback off of jeffrey's comment a little bit because um i've said something similar about this game to you in regards to the fact that like not only is it a ton of paperwork um 
the, <laughs> you know, the, I guess, inaccessibility in a way is that, mm. like, who the hell has time to, <laughs> like, not only create these boards, I know you do, Bill Ford does, yeah, but like create these these <laughs> uh, these universe universes and then have them set up, right, and then go be able to play this game enough times and put in enough skirmishes games, and yeah. games and and build up the experience points or whatever they're called because I don't actually know. I don't know all the ins and outs and all the rules of this game because it is very in-depth, which, like, I think is a plus, but it's also a minus because, like, who the hell has the time to play these games for so long <laughs> so that you can actually get to the point that Jeff was talking about where you can do the really cool stuff and cast the really neat spells and, you know, move the game the way it's supposed to move, right, at, at its height rather than, like... I'm going to just move my eight little inches and then I'm going to boop you on the nose. Like that's about, that's like kind of how we play. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. all right. And I punch you in the face. Right. And then it's like, okay, we're going to do that back and forth for half an hour until the game just sort of ends, you know? So, uh, but for the, um, I guess for the reason that I don't like it, right? Like so anything, we, anything are we, that... Are we segueing into that trend? Yes. Okay. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. So you, that's one of your... All right. So Hale, you're going to kick <laughs> things off here. Well, Jeff was getting into it. I feel like it should be a conversation. It doesn't have to be... Okay. Yeah. Like, I'm here's sorry. the title of this segment. Yes. Hello. My name's Bill Ford. Welcome <laughs> yeah. to What You Don't Like yeah, About This I have Game. Been... Yeah. So, um, but I guess for like, like for that criticism is also like... Um, a really great positive about it is that it's immersive, right? It's beautiful to look at. It's like what you would imagine as a kid that you would like love your toys to be like, you know what I mean? Like very detailed. Oh, yeah. like, Bill, Bill has like moss growing on like the side of buildings and like, it looks very realistic, right? So the, the game in and of itself is super fun to just imagine. Imagination. <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I like the game because it's, it's fun to pretend it moves pretty quickly when you get the hang of it for the most part. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, but you got to get the hang of it. Um, but the structure of the game, and I could be wrong when I say this, but the structure of the game in that, like, you know, you, you move and then you, then you, the, you boop, you shoot. You move, you shoot, you boop. You yeah. move, you boop, you shoot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, like those four things that you do in each turn, um, that seems to be um, actions or a structure that shows up in a lot of games similar to yeah, exactly. Mordheim, right? So like it's kind of like if if you've played tabletop games before, um, which we have... But if you've played them before, like, I guess the structure is kind of easier to attach to. So I, I'm sure that's what the game developers were having in mind. I have no idea. But um, I do like that about the game and that it does become kind of patterned in a way. So mm -hmm. it gets easier to play the more you play it. Um, yeah, those are the things I like about it. I don't like having to... Here to, we go. I don't like having to stand... Here we go. Let's go. I have to stand every uh, single time I have to move one of these motherfuckers. And when I'm playing games, 
That means it's my break time, okay? My kid's asleep. I'm done working for the day. And I just want to sit. I just want to sit and play a game. I don't want to have to stand. <laughs> and this game forces you to stand because of all the structures that are on the table. You got to be able to, like, get a bird's eye view. And yeah. so you have to stand. And You that, won't stand for it. I won't. St I have to stand for <laughs> it. I won't what stand do you mean? for this. Yeah. This aggression will not stand. She yeah. just wants the characters to scoot, boop, and shoot. She doesn't want to have to stand boop, up and, boop, and scoot, boop, shoot. and shoot. Okay, that's literally what I'm going to start saying now. Those are going to be my the names scoot, of all shoot, of my boop. actions. You scoot, you <laughs> shoot, you boop. <laughs> <laughs> scoot, shoot, and boopy. <laughs> Is that like... <laughs> that's that's going to be the new hit single from yeah. Garth Brooks. So what else, what else do you not like about it? Um, I mean... I'm sure the, you got your gripes. And I griped about it last night. I don't like that we have to like... I don't like that it takes up a ton of room in our garage. All of yeah. the pieces mm. take up mm. so much space. Preach. I mean, like... And it's not even that... Like, it's not that much, um, like, material... But because it's so no, no, no. it's so delicate. No, no, no. Don't must... say that. It's like fucking, it's like Iron Man. Do you remember that? It was like Iron Man 3 or something where he has like the model of Stark Enterprises that he has to like take down and like imagine to get the Iron Man fucking uh, new heart thing. And it takes up the <laughs> entire room. But yes. it's, like, it's gorgeous. It's a little model, they little bushes. And they got all this stuff. That's Bill's like modeling thing. It yeah. takes like the entire area. It could yes. be like the whole garage, and he'd be like, "Oh shit, there's actually another piece over here." And you're like, "Bill, there's there's physically no more space for this. That is we have to go to like the amphitheater." That is my biggest gripe with this game is just the fact that it takes up so much space. The amount of space oh. it takes up yeah. is insane. Yeah. And like, and Bill's yeah. like very carefully putting all the pieces back into the boxes that he keeps, you know, the 40 boxes that one game tile fits into and all the pieces that go on the game tile, they all, you know, they all, they're all in four separate boxes and they have to be very carefully placed so that they don't get hurt. Um, and so, yep. yeah, that's probably my biggest gripe about it. It's just like the amount of storage you need. And we don't have that much. No. So, so more. You know, you're talking about like moving, and Bill's got like he, he uses it with like the caress of a lover, right? Like, he's, <laughs> oh, here's my beautiful piece, and I can't like I have to put it down here all gently and softly. But then, like when I'm playing, I feel like, it, like you said, Kaylee, it's so big, but you have to like stand around and move these pieces. And I got I'm a big guy, and I got like, I, yes. what, do you, what do you say? Like, it's just I, I'm like a bowl in a china shop. Like, fuck, and I have these like, chubby fingers. And I'm like. <laughs> Ah, okay. I'm trying to move a little guy. Like I don't want to fucking hurt the, the fucking thing. You know? I have the exact same experience. All last night when we were oh, playing, man, I was, was like, I was bad. like knocking over everything and like all of the little that pieces. Was, were that just... was really my fault because I placed one of like the little objective markers in this tiny little nook that like you need tweezers basically to get your fingers into. But that was, was my bad. I was like, like knocking the buildings over. That's true. I was. <laughs> it was bad, you know. Yeah. So sausage fingers unite sausage fingers and sausage elbows you, yeah you were the twin-tailed Haley's comet coming down <laughs> and destroying towers and shit so yeah bill what do you like and not like well let's go back to, i could talk about this game for an hour and a goddamn and half you jeff don't what do you get uh, an hour no i don't half. but so jeff what do you uh, so what do you like about mordheim what do you not like about it like and if you had to choose one or two things well i guess because like i was saying earlier a little bit like I, I really 
like the game itself. I think it's really fun to like, to, I mean, it sucks to be like, oh, standing up, right? But like, just being completely immersed in this world is pretty badass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I don't like that. Well, okay, so it's 2021, right? <clears throat> this game came out in 1999. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that we have to do by hand, like, should be a program, right? <laughs> because you're sitting there, you're like, dude, if I could just, like, it's just a matter of looking at a chart and writing the number down or whatever and rolling a dice and doing a thing. But you're like, man, in a game, you just hit the button and it takes into account all those statistics and it gives you the probability <laughs> that it's instant. And then you can just move on. Like, you don't have to fucking sit there and try to, like, hammer out all of your, I don't know, everything you got, even weird stone and stuff. So I feel like that's that's a gripe for, for me is just sitting there and having to like mess around with all the numbers. Although it does become easier as you go. I just remember at the beginning when I was getting into it, that was actually like a really big like pain in the ass. Um, but I guess over time it doesn't become that big of a deal. So <clears throat> those would be mine, I suppose. I, I, I agree with that. That's a really good point. And why haven't they? Why? Wait, where's the Mordheim app? That like keeps track. Yeah, of all like this the Weirdstone app. So Mordheim was like they stopped supporting Mordheim in like 2007 or 2008. Oh, so this like, game isn't a game anymore. No, not at all. <laughs> of course it is. Oh hell yeah! That yeah. makes so much more sense. That does. <laughs> You're like wow. So we're playing like on some legacy stuff. Like this yeah. is uh, like discontinued. Wow, this is great, man. That is going to be It's a, it's basically a, a historical uh-huh. game, like for Games Workshop. That's interesting. Yeah. You learn something new every now day. You learn something you know. every day. <laughs> the more you Man. know. Mordheim. Mm-hmm. Oh, all right. So I'm going to try to keep this brief. Yeah. Um, no, you get you get five God minutes. damn it. That's I have been dreaming get. of this day for months, and I get five minutes. All right. So. <laughs> succinct, my friend. Okay. So Maybe six. All right, so the things I'm going to start with the things I don't like. Things I don't like is the accessibility and the entrance point, right? Like, so yes, like there is no entrance point. You have like you can't just like go in like blind. Okay, so yes, you can simply because Jeff and I constructed a half ruined section of Mordheim with cardboard, nothing but cardboard, tape, and glue That's sticks. True. So like, and it, it looked good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now, like, welcome yeah. to the city, city of, of the, the damned. Uh, yeah, Made yeah. out of cardboard. Yeah. Oh, it's damned all right. <laughs> yeah, the damned, damned poor. piece of shit. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yes, to make the game look good and be as immersive as possible, yes, you like it, it will take a significant amount of time and effort to do so. But in order to get a game just using the rule system and using a handful of miniatures each side, it really doesn't take a whole lot. You can use stacks of books. You can just literally tape together pieces of cardboard to form the ruins. Um, and the rules will support something like that, right? So to a limited extent, it is actually very accessible because you only need anywhere between five to a dozen models per side. And these can be anything, right? They stopped supporting the more, the traditional Mordheim models for the warbands years and years and years ago. So you can use freaking like pop-up popsicle sticks right um the uh i i really love the setting i love just like this like nasty like chernobyl's heart thing like where you know you're going in you're exploring you're trying to get as much like riches and stuff for your war band or your faction as possible i'll try to avoid as much damage as possible um the factions that i like are like the witch hunters like these very like dark like very macabre 
Macabre. 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 Yeah. Macabre. Macabre. Yeah. Macabre. Going on the macabre. <laughs> uh, these like very dark macabre like settings. Like I really really like that stuff. Yeah. Um, because you know like if you have a witch hunter like a witch hunter to one person could look like a witch hunter to someone else. Kind of like you have the traditional Van Helsing thing versus this one guy who's like, no, fuck everyone. Everyone's a fucking witch. Um, like flagellants and zealots and stuff. Like to me, that's really, really cool. Um, there's just a very, very dark and like, this is like the grimmest and grittiest and dirtiest, nastiest grim, dark setting that the Warhammer fantasy universe would like could possibly be. So I think that's where I really, really enjoy that aspect of this game and just making like a really nasty city, very dark and diluted and downcast, filthy everywhere. Um, and like the historical aspect of it to me, like whenever I was introduced to games, workshop games, like this was the first box set of any games workshop game that I actually ever saw. It was like when I was in, Jesus, I was like 10 or something like that. It was like right when it first came out and I was like, what the hell is this? And I saw the, the box art and I was like, there were snakes writhing all over the place. Everything was like in flames. Like there was smoke everywhere. There was a guy with like one eye and an eye patch, like shooting a pistol into the mouth of like a demon. I was like, what the fuck is this? I was like, this is cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So that's like like the typical 90s, like what is that? Jason Returns or whatever, that fucking cover art where the, he's got a skull, but like the snake's coming out. And yeah, like flames everywhere. exactly. It's just like this yeah. over the top, like 80s and 90s, like artwork, right? That it's very evocative. Like it's it's over the top but it definitely makes you feel some sort of reaction right um so that's uh, kind of like how it sunk it, that's kind of how like this game sucked me in like this game i found this game like over 20 years ago so to me every time i play this game i make a piece of terrain for it i paint up a warband or i play a game like to me it's kind of like taking me back to you know like when i was 10 and i feel like there are a lot of people who are involved in the hobby for more time feel the same way um the bad things are that like uh one, one more good thing is that some of the rules are fucking tits excuse my language but like they kick ass like they're the diving charge <gasps> sorry yeah oh, so offensive oh. but like the diving charge that jeff mentioned <laughs> like the the assumption is, is that other like you know looters and pickpocket like you know scavengers and shit have been all over the city so they've laid down like these plank bridges to like lead from like ruin to ruin and as Jeff mentioned earlier, like you have this diving charge to like literally like if you were running across a building or like a, this one of these gangplanks essentially, or you can jump from like the roof of a building and just dive, do this diving kick, kick ass charge onto an enemy, you get like all the, if you pass like your basically like your dexterity checks, your initiative checks, like you can inflict extra damage and all this stuff and you're pretty much guaranteed to kill the guy. Um, the things that I don't like, so like there are some like zany rules that get applied to it that I think are just, they're awesome. You know what I mean? And, um, the way that the tables work out is that again, like, like Jeff said earlier, I was having a shit game. All of my guys were dying. And then all of a sudden I had just had one kick-ass turn where like, it was actually the very last game where Jeff had this ogre, this giant hulking brute that's like impossible to freaking kill. And it was the last game. My warband sucked. His didn't. His was overpowered. Um, and at the very end, like, I, you know, the game was going to end anyway. But what was really, really fun was that, yes, my chips were down. But this one little, like, rat assassin guy 
He basically <laughs> a, like, a, a rassassin. A, a rass, yes, a, a <laughs> He uh, basically, with his bare hands, he had this skill, um, deadly deadly pause. Yeah, I'm sorry. Not like a pause. I just think of like, like these cute little toe beans that like rats have right. like, coming at you, like. But you had deadly paws. Yeah, so one of my like my like junior warrior like heroes who like actually got experience points and got this skill deadly paws, or maybe it is deadly claws, but like to attack this giant roger, this ogre that's like bearing down on him with this double-handed axe in the middle of this scary sewers, right? And he can't even see. And this ogre just like runs up to like, deliver the swing. And this little like tiny guy just goes in with deadly claws or deadly paws or whatever. I roll two sixes and two sixes. And I ended up dealing like three friggin' wounds to this ogre from this little tiny guy, right? So, like, Morheim is a game of emotions. And, like, yes, it didn't kill the ogre, but it was really, really, really exciting. <laughs> game of emotions. Yeah, absolutely. So you it's need like to a elaborate. Roller, so it's like a roller coaster, right? Like, you know, you could have six guys with, like, bows, right? Like, shooting at this giant tar- target that's, like, lumbering towards your lines. And, like, another miss, another miss, another miss. It's like, oh, my God, like, this fucking sucks. Like, my turn's a watch, <laughs> right? Like, this blows. Like, nothing, like, I'm not doing, like, damn, the dice are just stacked against, against me. And then, like, your last archer or ranged weapon unit, like, hits the hits this hero who's, like, super, super powerful. Okay, great, I hit him. All right, well, I'm probably not going to wound him because he has all this armor. And then you end up rolling a six. It's like, holy shit, like, I found, like, some sort of, like, weakness in the armor. All right, well, I'm probably just going to knock him down. Like, it's not, I'm not going to stun him. I'm not going to not take, certainly not going to take him out of action. It's just, like, this little weak dinky arrow and then you roll the dice again and it's like a five or a six and you take like this giant like expensive very powerful warrior out of action so you went from feeling like down in the dumps just the way that the rules are and like the the tables are designed five misses in a row to like just this one lucky shot it can swing the balance of a battle or the skirmish completely back in your favor right so it's like you really really do have to like cling on Yes, if you're a moron like me and like you just don't voluntarily route until like you fail your route test and you have only like, two guys <laughs> left, yeah, don't do that. Like that's that's silly, right? Um, but it is a it's a it's a swing of emotions from from highs to lows a lot of times. So you really do have to kind of stick through, and th- those emotions create memorable events. Like even to this day, it's been three years now, and like I remember my one little like tiny hero like. Slap, basically slapping the shit out of you know Jeff's Jeff's ogre, and no, it didn't do anything. But it was very enjoyable and very satisfying to me as a player. Like at the end, at the end of the game in the campaign, like okay, yeah, you beat the living shit on me, but I did. This one guy did have a very heroic stand, right? Um, so those are the things I like about it. Things I don't like about it is that. <laughs> I know. Oh, that was oh okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. You get one minute. You sure you don't want to go a little more? I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try to so keep th- this short. Yeah, so the things I don't like about it is that it, it isn't balanced, right? And there are ob- very obvious direct builds in terms of like planning your warband, buying equipment. There's a lot of like bloat of rules. Like axes have different rules versus swords and clubs and shields and all that crap. 
And in reality, like, it's just, they all do the same goddamn thing, right? They kill people. So, like, let's not make things more complicated than they already are. Um, the, some of the other things, like Diving Charge, it is really, really badass. Um, it's a great rule to have, but it is just one more thing in a very complicated system that certainly takes quite a while to learn. Like, you have to play, like, two to three games to really, full games of, like, 500 points each side to really understand, like, the rules all the way through. And that's why, like, you know, Jeff, whenever I first taught you, like, I'd never played with another human. And then, like, Cheryl was, like, like, botching the rules, like, left, right, and center, right? And, like, you were totally justified. You're like, dude, I know you don't want to slow down the game, but just give me the rule book. Like, we need to... We need to like make sure we're getting this right, right? Um, because these rules were based off of Warhammer Fantasy Battles with some tweaks and a lot of extra tables and a lot of extra superfluous crap thrown in there. Um, so it it can be kind of a kind of difficult to break into, but for Haley and I, like I pared down the rules, I made the game smaller so that we were instead of a four foot by four foot, we were playing on a three foot by three foot table with smaller warbands, easier to learn rules. And yes, it, it took some of the zaniness and fun out of it, um, but you got to play two games in the City of the Damned, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. To have a fully immersive game, like, you do have to have, like, really, really, not nice, but, like, terrain, right? It's not easy to, it's not cheap to buy if you buy ruins, and it's not, certainly not easy to make unless you're okay with, like, cardboard And ruins. it's very time-consuming, right? Like, yeah. if you're going to be, if you're going to go all in on this game in and create these very detailed boards you have to be skilled like you have to do your research you have to like watch the youtube videos you like constantly you are working on these boards in fact where we are currently sitting right now in our garage uh we are sitting at bill's nerd desk which has you know all of yeah. his all of his tools yeah tools of the trade yeah yeah i mean but i'm like a five out of ten i gotta say we talk about being immersive i fucking loved it because like when you're when you're in there you kind of feel like you can have some strategies and tactics you know like, like okay so here's a tower and if i run this way his little rats can't get me with their two stupid <laughs> slings and you can like you have the objective and uh i, I don't know it's really badass because you can jump yeah. over terrain you can climb up ladders like because the train actually matters and yeah. i feel like that's wicked cool like and you can go into... up to place and oh, oh if you're yeah yeah and if you're over like three inches above something and if you jump like that's gonna hurt you <laughs> so you gotta be careful about actual distances <laughs> you can't just like make stuff up and i don't know i did think that was pretty badass for sure <laughs> which is really funny because like all right so my my skaven were really really like agile and athletic and stuff and jeff's like normal human witch hunters really weren't but at any time yeah, like, like my broke guys a leg, did, like stumbled over a bush. Yeah, like anytime like my guys were like my nimble rats would try to like climb a wall. Like, oh, this is gonna be easy, like anything but a one. And like, no, I roll a goddamn one. And then like it's just like his guys, his normal <laughs> humans were just like these, you know, just like acrobats on the friggin' US gymnastics team, just like doing backflips up walls. But anyway. Shit. All right, so that's what uh Yeah, it was pretty awesome. That's that's what I like about it. That's what I don't like about it. That's what we all like about it. That's what we all don't like about it yeah um do you have any uh closing arguments jeff for the uh the case of i would just say for the case of mowenheim my closing arguments would be the the game is is really awesome because you can be as in-depth and immersive as you can but i think that some of the mechanics are a little bit outdated so far as like the uh the paperwork of the doing it as well as like (laughs) the probabilities are a little bit 
wild. Like you have to roll the dice three times and get like a five and six sometimes each time. So like that's 30% times 30% times 30% to actually like hit a guy. Yeah. And so it's some of that can be kind of crazy. That's a good point. Um, yeah. You're like, you know, so you're like, oh my God. So you, you have all these tactics around the battlefield and be like, yeah, and then want to sneak behind him and get him. But actually I have a 5% chance of actually killing him. So like, what was the point of that? You know what I mean? <laughs> you're like, so I'm like, just going to go home. Yeah, forget it. No, but it's it's actually really fun. And uh, I'm pretty glad that Bill got me into this. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, I'm married to him, so... Uh, you I, have no choice. I have no so choice. I'm, like I'm contractually obligated. Yeah, like it's to... built into our, 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 our marriage. Like I it's like, okay, fine. Like I will do, I'll do the dishes, but twice a year, you have to play a game of Wartheim with me. Oh my God. <laughs> I just building up all that time throughout the year. Just throw it on 24 hours of Mordheim. No sleep, Haley. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I know you have a toddler, but you know, you, you definitely don't need any sleep. Yeah. Keep playing. Keep. It's okay. Nope. Yeah, and like to me, like, like do I, I have to fill this paperwork? The work is not done unless the paperwork is yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking paperwork. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us yeah, for our season finale. Yeah, thank you so much, man. That's it's an honor. So it's a well, thanks for having me, awesome. guys. This is for, a treat. This is a hoot. For anyone who is listening, you know, the three people, including my mom. <laughs> oh yeah. That's hi right. mom. Yeah. Uh, oh, check hi, mom. out uh check out Jeff Orr and his wife Chelsea's podcast uh Drinking by Stormlight. Yeah. Uh is is it oh, on yeah, it's on baby. Spotify, right? So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I think. Uh it's on quite a few things because I use that uh anchor but yeah, and you can... that just like spread it out to everything. But, but yeah. you also have uh you also have an Instagram, right? Oh yeah, at drinking by Stormlight. We're pretty, we're pretty inventive with our names. I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, I think mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're thinking about starting an Instagram, but we're uh, not Dude, quite you there should. yet. You take but pictures yeah. while you're boards and stuff. It'd be perfect. Everybody yeah. should listen to Drinking by Stormlight and go check them out on Instagram. Thank you again for joining us, Jeffrey. Well, shucks. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a hoot. It was a hoot, a scoot, and a boop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now on to our season finale. Murder. Murder. Yeah, so Bill's in the peanut gallery, and he will be uh, hurling insults and random comments. Uh, insults. I'm just joking, yeah. the peanut gallery, you know. So uh, tonight, Bill, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I'm going to be telling you the tale of the UT tower shooting. I know I called it the sniper shooting, the UT sniper uh, at the beginning, but it's technically known as the UT shooting. So are you ready? I guess, are we gonna get to Tiny Tim? I'm gonna tell you about Tiny Tim too. Okay. all right. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll get to Tiny Tim. All right, so, uh, and I'm using a few sources to tell this story. Um, because it's been very widely covered uh, since it happened in 1966. Um, So yeah, away we go. All right, so on August 1st of 1966, a man named Charles Whitman, who was a student at the University of Texas and a former Marine, this, it's really funny, so I'm looking at Britannica right now and they say, 
uh, an ex-Marine, which is technically not correct. You are mm. supposed to say former Marine. My sister has corrected me many times. So uh, Charles Whitman, a student at UT and a former Marine, fired from the clock tower on the campus of the University of Texas. Okay. Yeah. So let me kind of lead you up to this moment. Okay. Whitman's murderous spree began in the early morning hours of August 1st, 1966, when he first killed his mother, Margaret Elizabeth Whitman, at her apartment near downtown Austin. Approximately three hours later, he returned to his small South Austin home and killed his wife, Kathleen, as she slept in their bedroom. What? Yeah. And right. I I, I want to hear your reaction after I like tell the entirety of this story because I like hopefully the first thought you have is the same thought I had. Okay. So anyway, let's keep going. So he kills his wife Kathleen. So from about three a.m. to his arrival on the UT campus at approximately eleven thirty a.m. that morning, he had written several notes and meticulously prepared uh, for an extended siege of the campus by purchasing and packing an array of guns and about 700 rounds of ammunition, as well as survivalist supplies. So, like, Uh, intention, right? Yeah. Wearing overalls to disguise himself as a janitor, because it's 1966 and that's what janitors wear, apparently. Yes. Uh, Whitman enters the tower on the ground floor, boarded an elevator and wheeled a footlocker on a two-wheeled dolly to the 27th floor. After this, he hauled his gear up three flights of stairs to the 28th floor, which I guess it's three flights, right? Yeah. Three flights, uh, three flights of stairs to the 28th floor reception area and observation deck. And if you've ever been to UT's campus, this tower is still there. uh, And you can't, and I'll get into like being able to access it in a little bit. But at this time, you know, anybody could go up there and just look out over UT's campus, right? So, um, so his first victim on campus was a university employee who served as a receptionist on the 28th floor. So basically, he comes into the reception area and kills the receptionist immediately. Shoots the receptionist, yeah. Minutes later, using an illegally modified shotgun, Whitman gunned down a family of tourists in a stairwell as they attempted to enter the reception area. Two of the family members died immediately, and two others were severely wounded. At 11.48 a.m., Whitman began shooting from the tower's outdoor observation deck, which completely encircles the entire 28th floor. So it's like it goes all the way around, right? Right. It doesn't just face one direction, which, yeah. Uh, The outer walls of each side of the deck included three openings that were intended to function as rain spouts. I feel like we've all seen those kind of runoffs from from buildings right um whitman was able to use these openings as turrets uh which effectively shielded him from return gunfire below bill uh nerd bill will you briefly tell us what a turret is so a turret is a standalone pillar so to speak uh so in, in castle construction a turret actually or no that would be a drum but a turret is is a cylindrical tower 
Well, okay then. So <laughs> a drum is a half tower. I guess I guess there's another way to use the term turret. Uh, oh, sure. Because those, you know, those little slits that you see in castles that yeah, they use arrow, to like arrow loopholes. Yes. Yeah, those little loopholes. Uh, I assume that's another way you can use the term turret. I didn't know that. Um, so, uh, so for ninety six minutes. The sniper in the tower fired approximately 150 rounds of ammunition onto the public below. The incident ended at 1.24 p.m. when Whitman was ambushed on the northwest corner of the deck by two uh, uniformed Austin Police Department patrol officers, Ramiro Ray Martinez, and this is the most Texas name I've ever heard in my entire life. Take a guess. If you could th come up with the most Texas name you could possibly think of for a police officer in Austin, Texas, what would his name be? Um, Tigger Walker Ranger. Tigger? I don't know. That's like from Winnie the Pooh? I don't know. Why would that be Texas? <laughs> what? What is your brain doing? Uh, I don't know. His name was Houston McCoy. Oh my God. Yeah. Ah. Might as well be Walker, Texas Ranger. Houston McCoy. Oh Jesus. Yeah, yeah. That guy was destined to hold some sort of weapon in his hand. I like, can't. Can you believe it? the peace or otherwise. Incredible. That's probably my favorite name I've ever heard. That's Pete. He's a peacemaker. That's. Like, that's <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so wow. as, as, uh, in addition to these two police officers, an armed civilian, a university co-op employee named Alan Crum had also accompanied Martinez to the observation deck and waited near the doorway on the south side of the deck. And according to Crum's statement to the police, Austin police officer Jerry Day was also present at the door. So can you, I just want a moment for you to imagine what it must have been like to, it's 1966, like, Pretty much all police officers in in Texas at the time, particularly on UT's campus, are just like little Mayberry, yeah, you know, like mall cops, yeah, they're mall cops. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Like yeah. it's particularly on campus. Like, um, and there's four police officers versus this guy who has 700 rounds of ammunition and a sniper rifle. Yes. Like, can you imagine what they must have been feeling at that moment? I think I've even seen a documentary once where one of the police officers was interviewed and he was talking about how terrified he was in that moment. Like, I, sure. yeah, right? So the death toll, including Whitman's wife and mother, uh, was a total of 17 people. Uh, 15, including Austin police officer Billy Speed, died on August 1st. Uh, another died on August 8th and a final victim, which I think this is very interesting. A final victim died of a gunshot related wound in 2001. Huh. So they were shot that day and then ended up dying in 2001 due to the complications. of the gunshot Yeah. Wound. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So uh, 31 individuals were treated for wounds ranging from superficial to life threatening uh, in Austin's hospitals and the University Student, Cent uh, Student Health Center. Um, so as a result of this shooting, the observation deck was closed for several months uh, to fix you know, the damage that had been done. Um, during the 
During the first 30 years of the building's history, a total of three people had committed suicide from the tower's deck. And after the shooting, in a six-year period from 1968 to 1974, four more people chose to end their lives there after the shooting. Oh, just bulldoze it. Like, what's happening? What are they doing? Like, why, why go... I don't understand why you would want to commit suicide in a place where, like, I don't, I guess I don't, I don't understand wanting to commit a mass murder. I don't understand wanting to commit suicide. So I can't really speak on that. Right. Um, after the last of the suicides, uh, the 28th floor, uh, was closed until 1974 or closed again in 1974. Excuse me. In February of 1976, the UT regents voted to close the observation deck permanently. Okay. Uh, going on, you know, kind of skipping ahead a little bit because basically what I'm getting from this is that uh, the school kind of waffles back and forth on should people be able to access it or not? Well, or should we try to bury its history or should we try to remember the victims by letting them go up there? Like they kind of waffled back and forth. Um, Eventually, um, in the 2010s, public access to the top of the tower was um, was open, but it was by a guided tour and appointment only. So okay. you could go up there and they, and they, uh, they also built a memorial garden at the base oh. of the tower. Yeah. Which is great. So he, this is what I think is super interesting because I didn't know this about American history. So the UT tower shooting was actually a seminal event in law enforcement history because of how it influenced changes in police departments throughout the United States. Yeah. So this one event changed American history because um, it became tragically evident to pretty much all police departments across the nation uh, that... Through the Austin, you know, as the Austin Police Department being a guinea pig for this, none of them had tactical training. There was they had no tactical training. They had no clear lines of communication with one another. Hmm. Um, there were no they didn't have adequate weapons or appropriate uniforms or even a unified like command or coordination. So like it's just like a bunch of dudes with guns trying gun- to. Uh, with crappy guns, too, yeah. with, like, six shooters, you know? Crappy guns, reliable weapons. Okay, all right. Well, versus a sniper rifle, yeah. I, you lose, okay? Um, so along with the 1965 Watts riots, the UT Tower shooting is often cited as the precursor to the formation of special weapons and tactics teams, huh. rather SWAT teams. Oh. Yeah. Texas. No, but, like, isn't that amazing? Like, SWAT teams were created in part because of this tower shooting. Yeah. Right? Um, So, yeah, SWAT teams that are now a part of most police departments and serving populations of 50,000 people or more, Mm -hmm. which is also something I didn't know that SWAT teams only exist for populations of 50,000 or more. That's kind of cool to know. Um, In Texas, during the regular session of the 1967 legislature, Uh, The Senate Bill 162 provided for the creation of police forces for institutions of higher education. Isn't that cool? Like, so, like, in 1967, because of this shooting, basically that was when um, universities were able to create their own police departments. 
that's why whenever you go on any campus, you know, you're going to be arrested by, you know, the University of Houston Police Department or (laughs) the UT Police Department, right? So what I want to know now before I actually like getting into some other stuff, I want to know kind of what's going through your mind. Like what's a question you have or a thought you're having about this particular story and possibly about Charles Whitman. I think he was a terrible shot. I don't know. He killed a lot of people. 17 people with 150 rounds. Well, don't, is there anything else that you might want to know? Uh, let's see. Like, did they notice, like, did they see any of the signs coming? Okay, that's a good question. So, my first question was, why the fuck is he doing this? Like, why did he do this? Yeah, sure. Right? Like, most, most people who commit mass murders like this have some sort of manifesto or, like, a suicide note or, like, some sort of explanation, right? Yeah, but he left that little... Bread, bread crumb, crumb trail, right? Uh, right. So you, as I mentioned earlier, he was writing notes. Okay. Right. But the causes of the sniper's rampage will probably never be established with absolute certainty, because uh, since 1966, searches for an explanation have kind of, like, f- searches for an explanation for such senseless and deadly violence have resulted in several cause and effect theories so we have theories right there's really nothing that has been able to like been to be concreted okay uh which include the organic causes of violence and the discovery of a small brain tumor during an autopsy of the sniper so they they did an autopsy on him after the murders because of course he was killed yeah right by those police officers um and they found a small brain tumor. So that then the question becomes, okay, maybe this brain tumor, you know, messed with his impulse control. And uh, because he's a former Marine, maybe he had like post-traumatic stress disorder. And in that combination of organic causes, this was the effect, right? Okay. Um, chemical and drug abuse that some believe may have produced an amphetamine-induced psychosis. So... Yeah, I don't know how how much evidence there is to support that theory. Um, perhaps psychological co- uh, causes such as the training he received in the Marines and child abuse at the hands of his dangerous and surly father, which there has been evidence of of that. that like there is documented evidence of his father being abusive. Okay. Um, uh, he he even witnessed as a child significant domestic violence directed towards his mother, so that mm. could have had some sort of play into this. Um, and growing up in a gun loving household in Florida, which I don't know, like I I, I don't yeah. see that as playing. Nah. A, I'm sure that had something to do with it, but I don't think it was the straw that broke the camel's back, right? Like yeah. think of all like There's- anybody who says something like oh. I killed all these people because I was abused as a child. I'm like, okay, so was everyone else. Like, and and they don't go out and they and murder, right. you know, people at in, in like mass quantities, right? Like, yeah. lots of people have been abused and they don't go and murder other people. Just saying. Uh, however, in the 48 uh, hour period immediately preceding. The tower shooting. All right. Judging by his actions, serial decision making, and choices, there is little or no direct evidence that Charles Whitman was impaired mentally or physically 
during his killing spree. So, like, we still don't have the answer of, like, why he did this, right? Do you want to see a picture of him? No. Oh. Well, he looks almost exactly like my grandfather. Oh. Like, white, white dude. He's, like, pretty handsome. And he's got a strong jaw, blonde hair. He's got a crew cut, you know, flat top. Yeah. Uh, I mean, looks like a very... I mean, I hate to say it, but like a pretty normal dude. Uh, so it's it's hard to answer that question. But uh, I the reason I wanted to tell you the story because not only is it kind of interesting simply because why the hell do people do these awful, terrible things, right. but also like how these awful, terrible things can play into American culture, play into American history. Like... Think about the fact that, like, now we're, I mean, I don't want to get political, but, like, one of the debates that we're having currently in society is, like, defunding the police, right? And, like, why do all the police departments have SWAT teams? Like, we don't need those. And then, like, you look back on these historical events and you're like, well, we <laughs> kind of do because history has taught us that we do, right? And yeah. And that maybe they don't need to operate in the way that they do, but, like, history tells us that police need to be coordinated. Police need to be adequately trained, trained and yeah. have the equipment that they need, right? Like to, to protect innocent civilians from yeah. buttholes like this or really sick people who do these kinds of things. Yeah, for sure. Right. So what are you thinking? I know I kind of told you the whole story, but I mean, like my first, again, my first instinct is like, ah, oh, this guy was a terrible shot, but like, that's making light of it. Um, you know, and it got me thinking about, like, the, you know, oh, we don't need a SWAT team. It's like, okay, well, like, well if you, we want civilians to have guns, then the cops oh. need guns, too. Okay, like, okay. <laughs> that is another really interesting part of this story that I forgot to tell you. So, and I'm kind of just going to tell you this in my own words. Okay. So, um, in addition to this being, like, a really uh, important historical event for the United States, right? Changing, you know, how policing happened and so on and so forth. This was also one of the only, or rather, excuse me, I think the only, uh, it's, it says that this, this incident was also unique in the annals of American crime because of the unsolicited arrival of significant numbers of non-deputized armed citizens using privately owned firearms (laughs) to return fire upon the sniper. Texas. So they were, like, shooting at him from, like, the ground level? Yes. Oh, that's so badass. Yeah. So oh. basically, like, when when civilians realized he was shooting, they went and got their guns and came back, and oh. they tried to return fire. Oh, my nipples just got hard. Yeah, that's Texas for you. <laughs> uh, so, oh, this I think this is what's so cool about it, is that it is okay. the only example in modern times of an uncoordinated group of armed civilians assisting law enforcement by firing upon a criminal a criminal during the commission of a crime. It's the only example. That can't be true. Think of the Wild West. Okay, it says in modern times. Oh, okay. <laughs> but like, where do you, uh, well, you fair. know what? Actually, the only other well-known example of this uh, was, uh, maybe we could cover this in another episode, uh, the ambush of J- of the James Younger gang. Eh. Game J- <laughs> Ah, see? Uh, in Northfield, Minnesota, during an attempted bank robbery in 1876, it's the and 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 the reason it's 
uh, so historical is because it was a group of uncoordinated individuals and civilians returning fire Sweet. at a criminal, right? Don't so, mess with Texas. And before you get too, <laughs> before, yeah. before you get too excited yeah. about the prospect of that, which like in theory is like really cool, yeah. right? That a bunch of like good guys with guns, right? That's like that's like the 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 shtick. What if you're if you're not? And I'm correct me, but if you are are not pro gun laws what are you just like an nra supporter like what what do you call yourself if you're if you're like for gun uh, control a firearms enthusiast yes pro gun pro gun 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 rights activist or something like that right so if you're one of those dudes uh you know it it's you know probably gets you pretty hard and excited Mm -hmm. i know that was um graphic but um, so before you get too excited, oh. it actually drew mixed reactions from uh, law enforcement as well as the governor, uh, because the problem was is that it impeded the progress of the police in stopping the sniper, mm-hmm. um, and that officers had to be cognizant of taking cover from shots fired up at the tower, <laughs> right? Uh, so, and Officer Ray Martinez, actually, who was the guy who, and I think Ray Martinez is the one who kills him, okay. who takes him out, uh, later expressed gratitude regarding the civilians who, armed with personal r- hunting rifles, uh, returned fire to take cover, uh, and forced Whitman to take cover, excuse me, right. uh, thereby limiting his ability to target victims. So I think what he was kind of thinking was, like, even if you kill me, like, you're stopping him from killing people. other people. Yeah. So that's really badass wow very insightful isn't that damn hero oh my god what a hero ray martinez what about houston mccoy oh i mean he's just a hero for having that name (laughs) right uh so like i said we don't know we don't know a hundred percent why right like we can have theories what what the fuck did he write on these goddamn notes that's a good question i have not been able to find what these notes said I can't find them. Wow. Maybe the maybe yeah. police still have them. Yeah. Hey, our one listener, if you if you maybe know, I didn't dig hard enough, which is a very real possibility. Uh, I mean, there's so much stuff out there about this. I'm sure. I mean, it's a crime that's like seven, 50 years old now. Yeah. Fifty five years old. Yeah. So, I mean, but like I said, the reason I wanted to tell you this story was because of how instrumental this crime was in changing the course of like American criminal history, right? And policing in America. Anyway, are you ready for, to find out what happened to Tiny Tim? The peculiar story of Tiny Tim's death. Yes. I'm I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I've been just kind of like going with the flow and kind of half listening to this (laughs) UT sniper because I really want to know what happened to Tim. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. I'm going to tell you the the strange death of Tiny Tim. Okay. I'm going to briefly tell you the story of how Tiny Tim Fair died. Enough. All right, so uh, on September 28th of 1996, oh, okay, okay, Tiny... As he was affectionately referred to as? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Tiny suffered a heart attack just as he began singing at a ukulele festival at the Montague Grange Hall. In Massachusetts. Okay. Right? Uh, After this heart attack, he was hospitalized at the nearby Franklin County Medical Center in Greenfield for approximately three weeks. Three weeks before being discharged. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So he survives. Woo! 
being discharged with strong admonitions from the physicians not to perform again because of his health, his weight, and dietary needs for his diabetic and heart conditions. Because at this point, Tiny Tim is not so tiny anymore. Oh, shit. Oh, man. Yeah, so he's not as healthy as he could be. Okay. So what do you think is going to happen? He's going to perform again and he's going to have a goddamn heart attack. <laughs> like, so, are, so, I mean... I'm thinking of the comparison of Tiny Tim plays the ukulele. So does the guy who sings Over the Rainbow or whatever. Didn't he thing. die? Oh, definitely. Because the guy was 500 <laughs> fucking pounds. Pacific Islander, just like fat as shit. Oh my God. Yeah, like very sad. Let's well, well, something he, about gluttony and the ukulele that just like go hand in oh hand. Oh my God. So, after this you know, warning from physicians to start be- taking better care of himself. Yeah. He ignores it. Yeah. <laughs> he ignores the advice. So one month later. Yes. <laughs> on November 30th, 1996. Okay. He was playing at a gala benefit hosted by the Women's Club of Minneapolis. He had his third wife named Miss Sue. Oh. Uh, he, excuse me, he had let his third wife know, Miss Sue, uh, before the show that he wasn't feeling very well, but he didn't want to disappoint his fans. Before the start of the performance, most of his audience had left. What? I don't know. Why? That's weird. While performing his last number of the evening, maybe they wanted to beat the crowd. I don't know. He's like, uh, oh, fuck, Tiny Tim's coming on. Let's get out of here. <laughs> oh, no. While performing his last number of the evening, he suffered another heart attack on stage in the middle of a rendition of the, of his hit, Tiptoe Through the Tulips. No. Yeah. No! His wife asked him if he was feeling all right, and he said he was not. She was helping him back to their table when he collapsed, and he never regained consciousness. Oh, no. EMTs performed on-site CPR and transported him to a hospital where after several repeated revival attempts, he was pronounced dead at 11.20 p.m. His remains are entombed at in a mausoleum in Lakewood Cemetery in Minneapolis. A large mural of Tiny Tim with yes. tulip themes by, an Amer- by a famous Australian artist, uh, Martin Sharp, uh, is in the... Oh, in a Macquarie, Macquarie University Student Council yeah. in Sydney, Australia. So he had a lot of fans all over the world. But can you believe that? That's, that makes tiptoe through the tulips that much it's creepier. Darker. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm never going to listen to that he, song again. He, ha- he basically died on stage. Isn't Good that... him. Rock and roll, man. I mean, if you're going to go... I mean, he did. He died doing what he loved. Yeah, singing his hit. I yeah, mean, that's kind of cool. I, I would imagine like Mick Jagger has the same kind of aspiration in Rolling Stones. Like, I mean, it's pretty badass. Yeah, like you know what? Like he just sings like "Devil Sympathy" or "Sympathy with the Devil." But what is it with? Just dies on stage. Oh, did that really happen? No, but I'm saying like oh. if I were Mick Jagger, like that's what <laughs> I'm fucking wanting to Like, yeah, isn't it interesting though that like. I mean, I think of like, it It sounds a lot like the way Elvis died. You know, he just ate peanut butter bacon sandwiches until he like, you know, just had a, his heart popped on the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Just boop. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, so that is two, two stories how, of death. How is that peculiar? 
because he died on stage in uh, front of a, a ton a of people. Score. All right, well, probably like a score of people because everyone else apparently allegedly died. And particularly got up and like because doctors were like, dude, you're gonna die if you keep doing what you're doing. And he was like, rock and roll, baby, tip and toe in through the, the tulips. tulips. And uh, he sure did. All his way right to heaven. Yeah, right across the river, fucking sticks, baby. Yeah. Oh. So that's the peculiar tale of Tiny Tim. And so sad now. the, t- <laughs> that's like the, most the UT tower shooting. That's the most saddening outside of the... Uh, I think he had a pretty good life. I don't think it's outside that of sad. Outside the Candyman. Like, the Candyman made me feel things. Oh, gross God. Things inside. Yeah. But, like, that made me sad. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. Little Tim. Tiny okay. Tim. Oh, so fuck. All right. that brings us to the end of season one. That's it. Bring it, bring it to a closure. All right, give me that Arnold Schwarzenegger like, you son of a bitch. Yeah, grasping, flexing the forearm. Yes, <laughs> we did it. I love you. I love you too, baby. And we'll see you guys next season. Next year. On Bored to, to Death. Death. Nailed it. Yes. In the garden, in the